Good morning, Rivertree. How is everyone doing this morning? Hope everyone's doing well. So I had a weird realization the other day that it's September now. I don't know about you, but I know to me it feels like spring and Easter was like four or five weeks ago, not five months ago. But I was pleasantly surprised when I was at the grocery store and realized that we are now in the greatest season of the year, the everything is pumpkin season. So, you know, a fun game to get play over the next few weeks is for you at home to watch me slowly become more and more orange as I eat nothing but pumpkin flavored things until December. So we might have to do a before and after picture of me now and me in December. Just how orange do I get? How Oompa Loompa like? Like, how much do I transition into Oompa Loompa with all the pumpkin we're going to be eating? I'm excited. Pumpkin is delicious. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. So this morning we are ending our series on the Summer of Psalms. I know it's not, it, it's technically still summer, it doesn't really feel like it anymore, but I got excited and we, we went a few weeks over, but it's fine, here we are. But today we're going to close out our series by looking at the last chapter in the book of Psalms, Psalms 150. And as I said way back at the beginning, this psalm acts as a part of a closing doxology or a closing blessing for not only kind of its little section, but as the, the book of Psalms as a whole. And so let's read it together. Again, this one's really short. Let's read it together and just see how our book of Psalms closes, see what direction it points. And it's, I think there's some really cool things here. I'm excited. So Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounds of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the tremble. Praise him with dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding of cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. So things open up with the very simple statement, praise the Lord. Now, this is a sentiment, a phrase that is pretty common in our Bibles. In fact, it is so common that I'll bet most of you out there actually know the Hebrew for this phrase and don't even realize it. Let's go to my whiteboard. Ah, whiteboard's out. You know we're talking about Hebrew. All right. Hopefully you guys can see this. I'm going to try to do this upside down here. Starting over here. It's upside down for me. All right. So we have this root here. Halal. Halal means praise. We're adding this ending here. This is for... To, to oversimplify it, it is the... Uh, command. So this is a second person command. So you praise. It's the same thing like if I were to say run. Technically I'm saying you run. So here we have praise. So hallelujah. And then over here we have, oh my, my pen's dying, but, but you get it. Over there we have the shortened version of Yahweh, the personal name of God. So yeah. 
So hallelujah. Most of you, most of you've heard that, right? How many times? How many worship songs have that? How many times in church have you heard that? So next time, don't drop that. Next time you hear that, next time you hear someone say hallelujah, you know that's they're actually tangibly singing praise the Lord. See, you knew some Hebrew and you did not even knew it. Knew it, know it. Grammar's hard, apparently. All right, so that's, that's what we open with. The open with is a sentiment of praise the Lord. Now, what does the rest of verse 1 do? Well, it sets places in which we are to praise God. It starts out with we're to praise God in the sanctuary. Now, this makes sense, right? It's probably the most common place you would think of to praise God. You know, in, in church, in God's house. That's why, you know, just about every church service opens with praise songs. It, you know, it's sometimes called the house of praise, right? It's that, 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 that's where it makes sense. That's a natural place to praise God in God's house. But it also says we're to praise God in the mighty heavens. Now, what, what is, what is meant here? It doesn't mean like heavens, capital H, you know, like angels, halos, heaven. Does it mean sky? What's going on here? Well, in part, it kind of means sky, but what seems to be the intent here is to point to God's creation. So heavens, sky, earth. The poet here is using the term mighty heavens to indicate everything that God has created. So in essence, it's saying we should be worshiping God in all of God's creation. So our world, everywhere. So this one verse, verse 1, is setting up some endpoints. It is setting up that we should be worshiping God both in the house of God and also outside of the house of God. See? So our praise for God shouldn't be limited or restricted to while we're in church. It should extend to when we're outside, to when we're out in God's creation, to when we're in the world around us. It should be everywhere. All right, so that, that's verse 1. Verse 1 is challenging us to worship God at all times, in all places. So now, what... The next logical question to that would be, well, why? That's, that's a big ask, right? To worship God everywhere at all times. What, why should I do that? Well, verse 2 gives us a couple of reasons. The first is we're told to praise God because of God's acts of power. Now, this feels a little ambivalent, a little generic, maybe. What, what powers is our psalmist referring to? There really could be any number we could point to, right? I mean, for our original psalmist, these acts of power could refer to God bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, you know? The, uh, the ten plagues, the parting of the Reed Sea, the, those are certainly powerful displays, right? Could refer to God helping a fledgling nation, a fledgling Israel, defeat off enemy nation after enemy nation. Winning battles that, honestly, they had no tactical right to win. It could refer to God sparing the people of Israel from near extermination while in exile. In, in Babylon, God used a single person, Queen Esther, to free an entire people. 
That is certainly a powerful act. For us reading today, this could obviously refer to Jesus, the powerful act of Jesus dying for our sins. I mean, defeating death is about as powerful an act as I can think of, right? That doesn't get much more powerful than that. It could refer to the countless times that Christianity itself hung in the balance when kings or tyrants sought to stomp it out, but it endured. Now, those are all large-scale communal acts of power, kind of that large-scale cultural memory, if you were. But what about smaller, personal acts of power? Are there things we have seen in our lives that could be seen as acts of power? I know there have been certainly times in my life when I've seen God show up in a powerful way. I know just one example. Back of you know, a while ago, money was tight for Christine and I. We kind of budgeted things out, kind of looked at our monthly bills and such and figured out, all right, you know, I think we can you know, make it this far and you know, plan it out. The one thing we forgot to budget for was food. Because you don't, I don't know about you, but you don't think of food as like a monthly bill when it honestly kind of is. So we created everything and then realized we weren't going to have food to eat. So that was going to throw everything off, right? But that Sunday we go to church and we get a card. And, you know, in the card we open it up and there is a $500 grocery store gift card. The only explanation was that, oh, you know, this is a thank you, and we thought that you could use this. I mean, if that's not a display of God's power, then I'm, I'm not quite sure what is, because that is just ridiculous. So I think this ambiguity in the statement, praise God for his acts of power, it's intentionally ambiguous. It's meant to allow us to fill in those moments where God displayed power, both in our personal histories and also in that larger, grander story of history. And I think that's a really cool idea. Now, the second reason we're told to praise God is because of God's surpassing greatness. Now, this one might be even more ambiguous than the first one, right? The first one was ambiguous, but we were meant to fill in specific details, specific instances of power. This one, I think, is meant to stay in that overarching scale. It's meant to highlight the overarching power and greatness of God. This one, we can maybe think of God in, form, in terms of titles. God is creator. God is ruler. God is liberator. You know, here we're thinking about all of these titles that God holds and how only a God of great majesty could possibly hold these grand scale titles. So here, as in verse 1, I think our psalmist is setting up two endpoints. I think they're saying that we should praise God because of God's unsurpassing greatness. Because God has the power to create everything around us, right? God has this large-scale, looming, overarching power, but yet still uses that power on behalf of us, the individual. On the one hand, God has the power to create order, to cre order the stars, create cosmic order from chaos, but yet still uses that power to make sure Christine and I had food to eat. That's what our poet is getting at. That's why our poet is saying we should praise God 
because God is God over the huge, over the cosmic, over the epic. But God is also God over the small, the seemingly insignificant moments in our lives. Now those moments, they're not insignificant to God. They're significant enough for God to take part in, for God to be influenced, for God to be there for us. And that's why our poet is saying, God is a God worthy of our continual praise. And I really, really just love that idea. I think it's such a powerful notion. As we move on through the psalm, we get a list of musical instruments. You know, the psalm explains ways we are to praise God. Now, this psalm is not saying that every time we worship God, we have to use these and only these musical instruments. That, that would be silly. I really don't want to learn how to play the lyre, right? I, I, I don't want to do that. But what our psalmist is saying is that worshiping God should be a joyous occasion. It shouldn't be something that we feel obligated to do. It should be something we love doing. And have you ever had someone apologize to you for something that they clearly didn't want to apologize for? That they really maybe didn't mean the apology? And it, it seems really clear that someone was making them or they felt obligated like they had to. And one of my favorite Seinfeld episodes kind of revolves around this. Uh, there's a guest character, I think it's actually Brian Cranston. He has this like turtleneck sweater and George wants to borrow it and Cranston says no, and it comes to be this huge thing, and eventually, I believe it's Elaine, makes Cranston apologize to George. And the apology goes along the lines of, I'm sorry I didn't want your fat neck stretching out my normal-sized sweater. Right? That, that's not an apology. He didn't want to apologize. He felt obligated to. And that shouldn't be us when we're praising God. We shouldn't feel obligated to do it. It should be a joyful event. It should be like Christmas morning, you know, when your 10-year-old self opens up exactly what you've been wanting. You know, 10-year-old me probably would have been like a Super Nintendo probably, but whatever it is, you know, that mindset, when you pick it up, you're running around the living room, you're like, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what praising God should feel like. Now, something else that jumped out to me about this list is just how different these instruments are. You know, listening to someone play the harp is going to be very different than someone playing the cymbals, right? Those are about as far apart as you can get. And this reminds me that there's no real correct single way to worship God. There are as many ways to worship God as there are people around us. Some people connect best with God through exuberant singing and, you know, excited dancing. Whereas others connect best and praise God most through silent, simple contemplation, through meditation. I mean, take me for example. I am not a huge fan of singing. A fact of which I think you all should be grateful, because the less I sing, the better it is for your ears. But does that mean I'm a bad Christian? Or that I somehow don't know how to praise God because singing worship music doesn't crack my top? five things that I would enjoy doing. I really hope not. So I think we all have our own ways in which we praise God. And that's okay. That's great. We don't have to feel bad or feel like, well, that way of worshiping God is better than what I do. Because that's part of the amazing power of God, is that God understands and loves all of these myriad of ways in which we praise. 
God understands the different ways we connect. And I think that's amazing. So if we look at the song, it ends with one final challenge. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And this really gets back to the idea that we opened at the very beginning of, that we should all be praising God. Everything that has breath has reason to praise God. So in a way, this entire song is a call to worship. And it's a call for us to remember all of the ways in which God has cared for us. And I think that's a great kind of conclusion for the Psalter, for the book of Psalms. But now let's take one step back and look at this song in the context of the entire book. Remember way back when we first started, we talked about Psalm 1. And we said that it is really setting up the idea of who are we going to follow. It lays out this simplistic roadmap that if we follow and listen to scoffers, to haters, to sinners, it's going to lead to our destruction. But if we follow and listen to God, that would ultimately lead us to be strongly rooted. They use the imagery of you know, these flowing waters and these green pastures will be rooted in the best place possible. And we talked about how that psalm was really a challenge and an invitation asking us to listen to God and just see where it led, see what it had in store for us. And now, all the way at the end, 149 chapters later, the book closes with one more invitation. It closes with the idea that, hey, if you took that first invitation, if you took that challenge, and you metaphorically took the hand of the psalmist and followed this journey, yes, you would have encountered hardships. You would have encountered laments. We talked about a number of laments. But you would have also encountered praises. You would have encountered community. You would have encountered love. And all of that would have ultimately led us right here. This is an invitation to praise God for this journey. You know, if you want to take it, you know, this grand scale approach, this journey to the book of Psalms is really mirroring our journey through life. It starts, our journey with God starts with the decision to follow, starts with the decision to listen, to trust, to take God's hand and continue down this journey, to start down this journey. And through it all, it'll ultimately lead us to a point where we have praise bubbling up inside of us, where we can reflect back and see all of the wonderful ways that God has been in our life. This is really an invitation for us to realize that when we started, in the context of the Psalms, we started at Psalm 1, that strongly rooted tree seems so far away. But if we follow the psalmist, if we follow God on this journey, we are closer than ever to being that strongly rooted tree, bearing good and plentiful fruit. And for that, we should praise God. That is a wonderful, amazing journey. Join me as we pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity you've given us to come together. And we thank you that you are a God who gives us every opportunity to praise you. We thank you that you are a God, a God of the infinite, a God of the amazing, just a God of the universe but yet you're also a God who is concerned for the individual. You're a God who cares for what happens to us on a daily basis. 
And for that, we cannot help but praise you, Lord. And Lord, I just ask that as we continue throughout this week, that we would be cognizant of that. That we would be continually blown away by the ways in which you care for us, by the ways in which you powerfully move in our lives, Lord. And Lord, I just ask that you would keep your hand upon us, bless us, and keep us safe. Bring us safely back here next week. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you for joining us today. And I'm sure I will. you'll see some of me coming up throughout this week, but I will see you all next week right here. Have a wonderful week. Goodbye.